Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I'm your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hawk. I'm super excited about this podcast as it features two of my very favorite fellow Clubfoot Moms, Gina and Megan. These two mamas were and still remain my support system and lifelines throughout my cuties Clubfoot treatment journey. We frequently talk about how grateful we are to have found each other and don't know what we would have done if we didn't have each other. A quick background on how we met. There was a post in our state Clubfoot Facebook page asking about when other Clubfoot cuties were going to be born and whether we should meet up. And we all responded to that post and met for a lunch while we were still pregnant with our cuties. We were all still processing and anxious about the Clubfoot diagnosis, but we had all decided separately on our casting doctor who ended up being the same doctor. And so Megan's cutie was born first, mine was born second, and Gina's was born third, and, but all within four months of each other. So we were really kind of in similar phases of clubfoot treatment. And while we all started with the same treatment with the same casting doctor, each of us had a different outcome with that doctor. And inevitably, we all ended up switching doctors mid-treatment at different portions of the treatment to see Dr. Dobbs, who's now in Florida. So I can't wait for you guys to meet them and hear their stories. And I'm just so grateful that they were willing to be guests on the podcast for me. So welcome, Gina and Megan. Thanks. Thanks for having us. We're so excited to be here. All right. So let's start with Megan. So Megan, just tell me a little bit about your cutie and your start in the clubfoot treatment journey. So my daughter is now three and she, um, I found out that she had right clubfoot when I had my 20 week ultrasound. So I went through the last 20, well, 39 weeks or the last 19 weeks of my pregnancy, um, knowing that she was going to be born with clubfoot. I was able to interview doctors, which was really reassuring, but there was always that underlying worry. So um, it was definitely a hard last 19 weeks of pregnancy. And if I could tell myself to calm down, I would love nothing more than to be able to go back and say, it'll be all right. It's going to be okay. But she was born. um, We started treatment about less than a week after she was born. So we started with a doctor here in Denver and we went through five casts with him. We had the tenotomy surgery with him and in about cast number four, I started feeling a little bit like this is not exactly how this should be going. And I kind of, I tend to be over warrior. So I tried to kind of reassure myself that it was okay. And then After her tenotomy surgery, um, she, her cast slipped, which is a pretty big red flag. And I had to go to see a different doctor because our doctor was out of town. So I went to our children's hospital, saw another club foot doctor. That doctor put a cast on and expressed some concerns at that appointment of the way her foot looked after a tenotomy surgery. And... So that put more worry in my mind. And that night we got home and she 
kicked off the entire cast, which I didn't really understand was possible when people said that that happened. But the entire cast just flung off of her foot when she kicked one time. So um, that at that exact moment, I messaged Dr. Dobbs, who was in St. Louis at the time, told him the whole story over a Facebook message. He responded immediately. Um, we had an appointment scheduled with him the next Monday. So we got on a, on a plane and flew to St. Louis. She had a couple of casts to correct the issues that were caused here in Denver and then um, had another tenotomy and had that cast taken off, went into Boots and Bars and has been great ever since. That's kind of our long-winded beginning of our story. No, awesome. Thanks for sharing. So Gina, the same question for you. Just tell us about your cutie and your kind of clubfoot treatment journey thus far. Um, so it's a very similar story to Megan's. Um, <clears throat> my cutie is a boy and he'll be three in June. And we found out at the 20 week ultrasound that he would have bilateral clubfoot. Um, and at the time we had like a counseling session after our scan just to kind of go over what they found. And it was really made out to be like no big deal. There'll be braces, maybe some casts. It'll be fine. And every, I think everyone's thing that they say is if my baby had to have anything, I'd, I'd hope that they have clubfoot. And, you know, that's all well and good, but most of these people don't have a baby with clubfoot. So, you know, I went home and did all the research. I think we're all very similar with our overworrying and we need to know all the information. So, you know, I started to realize that it wasn't going to be as simple as everyone was making it out to be. So, um, yeah, we found doctors, we interviewed them. I joined all the Facebook pages I could find, which is kind of like a little bit of a double-edged sword. Like you want the information, but you hear the horror stories mostly on those pages. So you kind of have to be careful and take those with a grain of salt, which I couldn't do. So, you know, I was just worrying the whole time, but we thought we had found the best doctor in Denver and started casting at 10 days old. Um, we had four casts and then the tenotomy and then everything seemed like it was fine. And then when his three week cast came off, um, it looked, his foot looked a little bit odd to me. Um, from the Facebook page, I had read lots of people who um, their doctor had caused rocker bottom on their feet. And I don't, have you talked about rocker bottom? I don't think so. Okay. So rocker bottom is caused when um, there's improper casting and the manipulation of the foot is incorrectly done. And then the foot looks like the bottom of rocking chair. It's rounded. So I expressed to the doctor, you know, does this look like rocker bottom to you? This looks a bit off to me. And he just kind of brushed me off and said, no, 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 his foot's just pudgy, my cutie's foot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe my, my cutie was, you know, fourth percentile for weight, but maybe he just had a pudgy foot. So I let it go. We went to go see um, a physical therapist at Children's Hospital. And I asked the same question because my gut was just telling me that, it, that something wasn't right. He, the physical therapist also said, no, I don't think this was rocker bottom, but again, still wasn't convinced. So I messaged Dr. Dobbs um, through Facebook Messenger, sent him pictures. And he said, you know, I can't say for certain, but it looks like rocker bottom to me. So then we 
at, at that point I hadn't decided if I was going to go see him yet or not, um, but I knew we needed a second opinion. Mm. So, um, but yeah, and ultimately we decided to go with Dr. Dobbs who corrected with the same treatment all over again. And now my Katie's doing great in Boots and Bar. Yeah, well, that's great. I, just for my, I mean, everybody already kind of knows my story because I've said it a bunch in the other podcasts, but I think the deciding factor for us to see Dr. Dobbs and to get a second opinion was frankly just your guys's experience because we were all seeing the same doctor. And even though I never really felt that gut instinct that something was off with her feet, I just felt like, oh, you, you guys were going through the same thing. Like we're seeing the same doctor and you guys are having a much different outcome than what my outcome has turned out to be. And so that's what really propelled me to get a second opinion, not because I really thought, I mean, I think I'm an overly anxious person as I've talked about. And so I, I naturally am going to like do worst case scenario in my brain. And so I think I kind of convinced myself that maybe something was wrong just based on your guys's experience. And then me just going like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I just didn't know for sure. And I think it was the doubt that pushed me. It was like, and I think at some point I talked to my husband, I think it was before the tenotomy, we were in waiting to actually do the procedure. And I was just like, if there are any issues, if I think there's anything wrong, we're not, we're going to go see Dr. Dobbs. And I think at that moment we were both just like, well, then why aren't we seeing him now? Like we just need to change so that if we end up relapsing in the future, which hopefully knock on wood, we won't, but if we do, that's who I'm going to feel comfortable with doing it. So I might as well establish a relationship now with him instead of waiting until something happens. Um, but I definitely think it was our relationship and our communication and how forthcoming you guys were about your experience that then led me to kind of go, okay, yes, I, I don't know if I really needed a second opinion, but I definitely needed a second opinion for my own, like just ability to function as a parent moving forward, my own peace of mind. Right. Well, and I think our original doctor too, you know, when we first met him, I don't, I don't know if we've ever talked about what our first impressions were, but he was a bit flippant about a lot of things. Um, and I, I guess maybe I mistook that for, he was skilled, you know, like he, I don't know, he, he kind of was, had a little bit of an ego about things. And I was like, okay, he's the best of the best. Sure. I guess that's just how he does it. But when I was brushed off, when I had concerns mm -hmm. and he, if he had said, you know what, actually you're right. It look, does look like that. I should try and fix it. Then I probably would have let him, mm -hmm. but you know, just being brushed off, then it, it made me realize that, yeah, this, I think we need, we need a change. I yeah. completely agree. We were in the same boat where I had some concerns starting probably on cast four, like I said, and brought them up and was brushed off. And then cast five brought them up again, was brushed off. And we actually, Gina mentioned rocker bottom. That's what ultimately was um, the concern with my daughter as well. Um, but she 
uh, we were able to, you know, with Dr. Dobbs, he, he deals with that on a very, very regular basis. So it was something that was not a huge issue for him to correct, but it does take somebody who is truly skilled at correcting it. It is not something that an average orthopedic surgeon will necessarily be able to correct, but um, we felt the same way that we were being brushed off. And then also one thing that um, stuck out in my head is again, we were on all the, I was on all the Facebook pages as well, but we, I kept hearing that if a, if you're, if you have slipped casts, that is a big red flag. And that happened to us two times during casting. And then after the tomatomy and he said, our doctor said to me, your daughter is a Houdini. And that was something that I had read over and over again. If your doctor says that, it is a big red flag. It's your daughter, like your child is not a Houdini. She's being casted improperly. So those things coupled with the rocker bottom concern made it a really obvious choice to travel to go see Dr. Dobbs. And we knew from the beginning, you know, when we did all that research in those last 20 weeks of pregnancy, that Mm -hmm. if it didn't go well here, that that's what we would do. So I kind of always had in the back of my mind, like, if I have concerns here, then we have kind of our plan B. So it was good to have that planned out and know that that's what we were going to do once we started, once we went down the path of this is not working here. Right. I think we were kind of in the same boat. Like I was, I know after I had our cutie was diagnosed, I messaged Dr. Dobbs and like got in contact with him before we even met with the casting doctor here in Denver. But I do think there was one, and I always go back to this. There was that gut instinct. And I'm going to ask you guys about this in a second. But for me, there was one instance. And there was one moment that I'll never forget when we did the consultation with our casting doctor. And I asked one question. I mean, I think I asked like 75 questions and the same sort of feel that Gina, you were talking about, like this kind of flippant, like, and I think he was like that throughout most of the casting process. Honestly, we'd ask like, how are her feet looking? And he'd be like, just the way I want them to. And I'm like, well, that's not really an answer. Like that's not really giving me and no matter how much we pressed, it just felt like, like, yeah, like we were kind of getting this brush off. Like, I know what I'm doing. You don't have to worry about it. And I, but everything that I'd read and every single thing that any parent will ever tell you who has a clubfoot kid is like, you know, your kid best. And like, you are aware of all the signs and you have, you have to know, you know? And so, but there was one moment in the consultation, there was one question And I asked him, I said, like, have you ever referred out? Like, have you ever referred a case that was too complicated that was just above your comfort level? And he was like, no. And for me, that gave me pause because while maybe Dr. Dobbs would say that because he runs Clubfoot Clinic three days a week and does surgeries the other two days, like Clubfoot with other things, but Clubfoot is his jam, right? Like he lives it, he breathes it. He's doing all the research about it. But this doctor was doing Clubfoot clinic one afternoon a week. And so I was like, how, how could you tell me that like you, you just never have come across something that was too complicated. 
And so that kept replaying in my mind the whole time. And I just finally was like, this is your gut instinct telling you that this isn't a fit. Like whether, and I mean, thankfully, and I'm still very grateful for the fact that she was fully corrected through the casting process. And we lucked out and we were really like, honestly, by the grace of God, like she had corrected feet. And the second that Dobbs told us that when he confirmed it, I was like, was like the best moment of Brian and I's life. Like we are so ecstatic, but um, so I'm grateful for that piece. But I think there was just that mother's and my intuition, which I'd never really tapped into before. I frankly had a clubfoot kid. Like I have two older girls and I was never really like, yo, I'm really listening to my mom gut. Like I didn't even really know what that was. Right. Um, so I wonder if there was a moment for you guys where you were just like, whether that was the moment that you decided, okay, we need a second opinion or something isn't going right. Or if there's some moment that you just felt throughout the journey where you were like, this is just my mom instinct. Like this is, this is it. And I need to listen to it. Gina, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I would say it was after my cutie got out of his cast, um, after the tenotomy and I saw his foot and I just, I wasn't convinced that it looked right. And it looked like the pictures I had seen on the Facebook groups of people who had um, been diagnosed with rock or bottom. And then even though everyone was telling me like, the so-called experts were telling me it was fine. It just, I wasn't convinced. Um, but it, it did take convincing to myself a little bit to go to Dr. Dobbs. I, I really toyed around with getting a second opinion from a doc, another doctor in Denver who we had considered just because it all just seemed so overwhelming at the time, the travel and the plane and my, he was a little guy and, um, but ultimately, I think I just knew that even if another doctor in Denver told me, no, it's not rock or bottom, I wouldn't have believed it because I had already heard from Dr. Dobbs that he thought it was. So I wasn't going to be happy with anyone else's opinion. So as hard as it seemed and the travel and all of that, I just knew that was my gut. Like, I, I just I have to go see Dr. Dobbs. I won't be happy and have peace of mind until we go see him. Yeah, we have I mean our my doubt crept in during treatment so I kind of knew well when we were still in casting that it wasn't going it like that her foot was not progressing the way that it should based on research I'd done pictures I'd seen etc um I was very worried that more than the rocker bottom I was worried about it becoming complex it looked you know chubby and short to me didn't really think too much about rocker bottom until that tenotomy cast got kicked off. And that was when I looked at her foot and her foot did look like, um, like rocker bottom. Um, but so the doubt kept crept in and I, I kept trying to tell myself to calm down because I have to tell myself that a lot. So that's not an abnormal parenting thing for me. But um, I kept telling myself, it's going to be fine. This doctor, you did a ton of research. This doctor is the best in Denver. You met with other parents that have had successful outcomes with this doctor. Just chill out. It's going to be fine. And then when that autonomy cast was slipped and then casted by another doctor and then got kicked off, that was just, there was no other way to go at that point. It was not even a mom gut thing. There just wasn't another decision to make. So that 
that night there were lots of travel arrangements made, <laughs> which was good because we didn't sleep because we were so worried about the fact that she had just kicked a cast off, which I honestly did not know was possible. Right, that would have been so scary. I remember you messaging us and I was like terrified. I don't even think I slept that night. And it wasn't even my kid, but I just like felt like so viscerally through that experience and through your experience. And then later through Gina's experience, I was just like, like it literally almost, I could just feel it. And I also was like, so proud of you guys because you really like, and you guys were just such inspirations for me because you like listened to your gut and you did it. Like you were like, this is like, like Gina, like, even though everyone's telling you it's not like doctors and we're like, I grew up, I don't know if you guys are different, but I grew up like doctors know best, like doctors, I, everything, even with my older girls, like the pediatrician who I love, I love our pediatrician, but he would tell me to do something. I do it. Like I wouldn't even question. Right. So the fact that you still pushed through that and was like, Nope, like I feel it. And you did something about it. Like it just was such an inspiration to me. And I think it helped me go like, okay, I can do this too. Like I can advocate for my kid and I can listen to my gut even though my gut was like, it's a little shaky because it gets a little worrisome and it gets a little stressed. <laughs> so I can't always tell whether it's just like that anxiety talking or the actual mom gut. So I still walk that line, but I want to know, were you guys always good at that? Were you always, always good at trusting your gut or was it a new developed skill through this experience? I, I am not good at that. I will shy away from confrontation. I don't like to go against the norm. Like you said, the doc, what the doctor said was what I believed and what I would go with. And no, I, I have not always been like that. And I think it kicks in a little bit when you become a parent, a little, you know, you start to realize that you're the one who has to advocate for this baby mm-hmm. child. Um, but I think it kicked into high gear with all this club foot treatment and, you know, thank you for saying all of those things about me being an inspiration, but Megan was the one also like Megan, Megan was the trailblazer. She pushed me and mm. not pushed me, but she was the one who really made me think like, okay, I can go to St. Louis. Mm. Like she called me and said, what do you need to know? Here's my Costco number, rent a car under my name. Like she gave me everything. She said, here's here, here are my freaking flyer miles. I mean, I, she just gave me everything that I needed to feel okay to go to St. Louis. And I was like, okay, then I can do this too. You did this. I did this. Mm-hmm. Then you hopped on board and mm-hmm. you know, it just, and it felt right. It felt like the best decision. But when I had to call the nurse that we had been dealing with for the original casting doctor, I had to like practice my speech several times about the fact that we weren't going to be coming back because I just, I don't like to disappoint people. I don't, I don't like to do that. So no, that's not very, that it hasn't been something I've always been good at, but I've learned to just stand up for what I think. That's awesome. And before you respond, Megan, I will just jump on to what Gina said about you. And I think that one of the, cause the same thing, like, it was just like, I think I'm going to go to St. Louis and you were so encouraging. You were like, you can totally do this. And this is where you go. And this is where you stay. And then, and then with Gina, I was like, 
okay, what Metro do I take? And you're like, okay, look at the, look at the schedule. And I'm like, okay, like I felt so supported through that situation because I had two people ahead of me that have already done it. And I don't know if I would have felt the same ability to be confident. Right. Um, But I even talk about in the book coming up, like there's a section where I don't say Megan's name, but for everybody who's listening, it's about Megan. And about how with so much grace, she handled that situation because not once did she ever make me feel like I made the wrong decision and that my child wasn't in good care with our casting doctor. So she had ample opportunities to be like, you guys are making the wrong decision. You should switch. You should, I mean, cause I was still in the casting process when she was kind of at the tail end of hers and making the decision to go see Dr. Dobbs. But she like was so empowering without being like scary. Like we would meet, we'd meet up and we'd talk and she'd be like, no, I'm sure everything's fine. I'm sure it's great. Like she didn't go down this like scare tactic route which she totally could have done and she didn't. And she was so graceful and just encouraging. And I am so grateful for that because I don't know if I would have been the same in the same situation. Like, I don't know if I would have handled it with as much grace as she did. So I agree. I I don't know that I think you guys are giving me way too much credit there, but well, what uh, you said behind closed doors, we don't know, but you know, with <laughs> us, you were always very tactful. <laughs> no, I, um, cause honestly, I had a lot of faith in our doctor here and we did, a, we all did a lot of research mm-hmm. and he had a great reputation. So it's not like this was, I felt like my experience was probably more of a one-off, more of a complex case. And that that was not going to be most people's experience. And I still actually believe that that's the case. I, there's a lot of things that if I go, could go back, I would change about the way that I handled things and 20, you know, hindsight's always 2020. I think we ultimately made the right decision for our family and for our daughter. But I think that um, we initially also made the right choice. I don't, I don't know that I, even knowing what I know now, I probably would have started locally. It probably would have been really hard to start traveling with a 10 day old baby. Like, I'm not sure that would have been realistic either. So, I mean, I think everybody that is going through this journey has to do it their way with their child because nobody's experience is the same even the three of us who started with the same doctor and ended up with the same doctor have very different journeys. So it's not something that you can say, Oh, well, this is what happened to me. So therefore it's going to happen to somebody else. I just hope I didn't traumatize you guys with no, but like just the fact that you even had the wherewithal to know that in such an acute situation and then be able to express that to us is like such, I don't, I just don't know. It's like a superpower. It was just like this ability to make us feel like, it's okay. And I think you really did believe that. And I believed you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't feel like you were just saying it to comfort. You were really were like, no, I think you guys are going to be okay. Like, I think it's, but then when Gina came to us and was like, I think something's up, you were like, yep. And like, you were, you were also honest. So there was that balance. And I think that's the beauty of our little group is this ability to be honest with each other 
but and say things that maybe other people wouldn't say, but also be so grateful and gracious with each other. And just, um, so I'm so thankful for that. Like, that's why I, I always talk about like you two are the ones that I'm like, I don't know what I would have done. Like, I love my husband, but as far as clubfoot, like, you know, we need that support. You guys are it. So I want to know from you though, Megan, do you, have you always been good at like trusting your gut and advocating and that sort of thing? Cause I feel like out of the three of us, you would probably be the one that I would be, put my money on as betting as yes. Well, been I, would, I would say I tend to follow my gut instinct a little bit more than, um, but I think there are probably some circumstances in my life that have led me to that. So when I was pregnant with my second child, um, my dad was really sick. And so we had to really navigate a very complex health system. And I think when, in, when you have issues, medical issues that are standard, you have the flu, you have strep throat, it's easy. You know, you go to your pediatrician, you go to, when you have big issues, the medical system is very complex. And it's you, we learned very quickly with navigating the health system with my dad that we had to advocate for ourselves, that like no one was fighting for him the way that we would fight for him. And we ultimately, as a family, ended up traveling to get care for my dad out of state. So he went to MD Anderson Cancer Center down in Houston because they had the best treatment, the best access to clinical trials, things like that, that we didn't necessarily have access to here. So traveling for medical reasons was not something that was new to me or out of my comfort zone. So I think that that was maybe empowering in terms of being able to listen to my gut and understanding that just because the, um, there is access to care here locally doesn't mean that it's the best care and doesn't mean that that's limiting of what we will do. So like, I think having that experience um, in my adult, very recent in my adult life. So it was like, you know, three years before my clubfoot cutie was born. So it was not something that was new to, like it, it was maybe a little bit empowering in terms of being able to feel like I had the confidence to like hop on a plane and go see a doctor somewhere else. So a little bit of following my gut, a little bit of having that medical experience of needing to travel somewhere else to get the care we needed. I didn't know that. I love learning it. Like that makes sense. It like helps me understand why you seemed so confident to me, like, just like, it's what we're doing and like very decisive and um, comfortable with the traveling and being able to kind of go with the flow and be flexible more than like I was ever. And I had a similar experience with, but a little bit different, like, cause my dad got really sick when I was pregnant with my cutie before she was born and had to have surgery. And then it turned out like his treatment was going to be a lot more extensive. And I, and then while we were going through the whole process and then he didn't like the doctors that he was seeing, my dad didn't like the doctors that he originally talked to. And I was just like, then go see somebody else. Like I was very like, 
my experience with my cutie was very much like almost kind of giving him going like, see somebody else. You don't have to see that person just because this is the person they referred you to go talk to somebody else, like do something different. And I don't think I would have been like that if I hadn't gone through this, I would have just been like, Oh, well, that sucks. Like, I really don't know, but I do think like the, how the experiences that you gain through your life then translate into other aspects of it. Right. Well, and I think it's easier too when you're on the outside looking in than when you're in the situation, because you can give someone the best advice, but then when you run into the same situation, you don't think to take your own advice. You know, it's easier to just tell someone rationally, but when you're in it and so overwhelmed with emotions and decisions, it's hard to kind of know what's right. Yeah, that's a good point. I definitely think when you're in it, and I think there's a little bit difference of like parent, like when it's your kid, like the stakes felt really high, like this is my child. I'm responsible for this. And while like, of course I want my dad to be cared for and I love him to death and don't want anything to happen to him. I felt less responsibility because I'm his kid and this, my cutie's my kid. So there was just a different level of that, but I definitely think there's a difference when you're in it versus watching it from an outside perspective. So if you guys could go back in time and tell yourself one thing about the Clubfoot experience, what would it be? Megan, you can go first. (laughs) I would say that at age, so my cutie just turned three Mm -hmm. and I cannot keep up with her. There's no way I could keep up with her. I can't. She runs faster than I do. She climbs faster than I do. She does everything faster than I do. And she keeps up with the the one thing that kept me up at night was, is she going to be able to keep up with her siblings? Is she going to be able to do all the things that they do? Is she going to play all the sports that they play? Is she going to be able to, you know, go to Disney world and walk around for a full day and be able to enjoy all the things that her siblings do. And this has not slowed her down one bit. Mm. I actually would be really concerned. Like if, if it has slowed her down, then I would be really concerned for my husband's and my sanity. If this, if this wasn't like full speed, because it's, she is um, a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. So I would just tell myself to really stop stressing and mm. it's all going to be fine. This is, if you clubfoot, I think Dr. Ponsetti said, you know, when treated properly, clubfoot is not any disability and it's not, there's no, there's no stopping this child. So she, I think that was, if I can go back and tell myself one thing, it's don't worry about her keeping up because she will, not only is she going to keep up, but lead the pack in a very um, stubborn and chin up way. (laughs) I love that. What about you, Gina? Um, I would probably say just deal with things as they arise. I think doing so much research and seeing so many horror stories, I kind of prepared myself for any scenario that may or may not have happened. And I spent nights worrying about things that like he wasn't even born yet. And I was worried about relapse and casting and, and everything. And 
I, you know, I'm kind of a big picture person. So it's hard for me to just take things as they come, but I would just try to say like, okay, cast one is done. It looks good. Cast two is done. It looks good. Instead of, you know, always worrying about the what ifs, because yes, we had some hiccups, but now, like Megan said, I mean, he runs faster than his sister and climbs and runs and is a very active, almost three-year-old boy. And he's, he's been great and loves his boots and bar. Like that was one of my big things too, is this porch and, and everyone who's not around us too will say, oh, this poor, poor child. Why does he have to sleep like that? And mm-hmm. it's just his nighttime routine. Like he loves his boots. Sometimes I'm not even allowed to take them off when he wakes up and yeah, so it's just our life and what he's adapted to. And these cuties are amazing. They really are. I agree. I think I would go back and tell myself, like, I was so worried about little things. Like, my middle girl loved, okay, she's really small, like real short, like on the third percentile, like a tiny little. And she's so mighty and strong, but she's small. And it was such a huge deal when she could reach the light switch to turn her own light off at night. And I remember laying in bed with her and like putting her to bed and I was pregnant with my cutie. And I was just like, but my cutie won't get that. Like feeling grief about a potential lost experience for her. Like she won't like she's gonna be in boots and bars. She's not gonna be able to turn her own light off. Well, we come come to find out, like I lift her up and she kicks it off with her boots. Like, because <laughs> we have one of those, like it's not a normal switch, it's like one of those you just push in. And so she'll just push it off. Or she's created her own routine and she's created her own experiences. And I think if I could go back and tell myself, like, don't put my expectations onto her. Like, don't think that she's going to not, she's going to miss out on stuff because she's going to create her own stuff that we're never even going to know and wouldn't have been able to experience without her being on this journey. That's great advice. So while it seems really silly, the light switch, I remember I worried about it so much, you guys, like I was like, just so sad about it. Just seems so silly, but I was also pregnant. So, I mean, the things you worry about when you're pregnant. I had kind of a similar, similar thing. I think we all have those moments that were just so emotional and impactful when we're pregnant and, you know, just gave birth. I remember the night before my cutie got her first cast on and just lying there in bed with her and thinking, I'm never going to hold her sleeping until she's, you know, in kindergarten without something on her like she's not is she going to be able to like cuddle and snuggle and all of those things um and I just sobbed like and my husband's like are you okay like are you okay is are you like actually okay I don't know if this is okay just that morning of you know am I am I going to be able to just cuddle with this child is she going to be able like is she is this going to be like a normal experience for her and looking back on that was it was so trivial and like you said your expect my expectations were being put on her um that has definitely not impeded any of those like nighttime snuggles at all um every once in a while you get kicked with those boots which is super comfortable but (laughs) for sure yeah other than that there's been no no issues with (laughs) with her wanting to cuddle there's been plenty of that in her three little years 
Did anyone cry over the loss of footy pajamas? I definitely cried when I got some hand-me-down footies and the fact that he was never going to be able to wear them. But, you know, come to find out, footy PJs are a bit overrated. Yeah. Haven't haven't really missed them. So much more difficult to change a diaper in footy pajamas than in, right? in a shirt. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, what was I thinking? But eventually, I remember feeling that same way, Gina, and I have some, like, you know, cause I have all three girls. So I had all these cute clothes that we'd pass down and all, some of them were those footy pajamas. And at the end of the day, I just cut those feet off when she was in boots and bar, like in the ones that she's in now. And somebody gave her some for Christmas this last year. And she immediately walked over to me and was like, mom, cut the feet off. And I was like, okay. Like I, she was, it was just like, that is her normal. And I just, the sadness that I feel about it, she doesn't feel. So it's such an interesting dynamic. But I also felt like really sad about the casting and like, what was I going to, I had that same sort of emotional breakdown. I don't think I said a word the entire time we drove down to the first cast. I was like, just panicked. I cried the whole time, the entire, the entire ride. I cried. (sighs) It's just brutal because you just don't know what to expect. But that's why I was like, Megan kind of paved the way. So I remember... Megan saying like, no, you're going to be able to hold her. It'll be fine. Like the casts are not going to get in the way. And I was like, okay. So that at least helped me calm down a little bit about it. And I think I ended up holding that child more than I held my other two. Like Mm -hmm. let's be honest, boots and bar cast or not like that kid is high maintenance and wanted a lot (laughs) of holding. I think one of her first words were like, hold you. Hold you mm-hmm. like just the constant holding. So the things I was worried about turned out not to be true. Same completely. Yeah. <laughs> so is the, if you could tell, is it different? So if you could go back and we talked about what you would tell yourself, if you were going to talk to another clubfoot mom or parent who is expecting, is your advice different? Like, what would you tell them? I think my advice would be to really trust your gut. Just go with it because there is, I mean, unfortunately with Clubfoot, it doesn't seem like there is a ton of consistency in terms of um, treatment being effective all the time with the same doctor. So even though you do all your research, if you just feel like something is off, make a change. It's, it's not worth you know, trying to suffer through it or be worried all the time. It's, you know, there are usually hopefully other doctors available in your town, you know, where you live to get another opinion and traveling is, it can be an expense and it can be an inconvenience, but sometimes it's worth it. I think just having someone that I knew personally to reassure me about all of these things, because you can read it from other people. You can see it on Facebook, but I think having someone to tell me that you'll be able to cuddle and nurse and really nothing is very different. And my cutie is my cuddle bug. Like my older daughter is not as much. And maybe it's because my cutie spent so much time on me with casts and boots and bar, but you know, he's my one who I can count on for snuggles and 
he is no different than his sister and nothing has held him back like we've said so I think just having personal reassurance that everything's going to be fine it will and if it's not it it can be fixed nothing is permanent I think that's both great advice I think um to kind of wrap up my final question for you it's kind of a fun question um is so just to preface this I I like very I connect to music a lot like okay I'm not a singer by any means okay or I don't play any musical instruments but lyrics to songs right um and so there was one song that really resonated with me when my daughter was born and that was Blackbird by the Beatles. And I would I like sing it to her when she was first born. And then I would sing it to her in every single casting appointment, not like loudly so everyone could hear, but just like this. Cause the lyrics of that, like, you know, take these broken wings and learn to fly just like made it there was something about that that just connected with me so I'm interested to know whether you guys had any other like a song or maybe a phrase or something that you connected with with your experience with your cutie who wants to go first (laughs) I wish I had something fun, but I don't, I don't think I do. And I remember you telling me that about your casting and I loved it. And it gave me chills because it's so sweet. And I was like, Oh, I wish I had thought something like that, but no, we unfortunately don't have anything fun like that. But I, I mean, I did sing like little nursery rhymes just to kind of, I think mostly keep my mind off of it. Yeah. Um, but no, I loved your, your blackbird story. Mm. I love that too. I don't have anything either. I'm not, um, I am really not musically um, gifted in any way, but I do, and all three of us share this, um, a really special place in my heart for traveling with my cutie to St. Louis and now to Florida. I feel like those experiences, even though they can be very stressful at the time, Mm -hmm. looking back, it was such an incredible bonding experience for the two of us. We went a lot when she was very little mm-hmm. to St. Louis and it was, I'd never been there before. And I just feel such a strong connection to that town. Whenever I talk to anybody who's from there, I always have um, such a connection to them. There's such a warm, soft spot in my heart for St. Louis. And I feel like now getting to go to Florida, which is such a like fun vacation destination. It's such a special experience for her to get to go down there. You know, this last time we went to go see Dr. Dobbs, we brought the whole family, but there'll be times that it'll just be my daughter and I, and we can make it kind of a special one-on-one experience. And so I do, Mm -hmm. um, even though it's not a song or something that we connect with, it's like, it's a place. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. I, Definitely feel you. I definitely, we had no experience with St. Louis either. And I definitely feel a different connection. Like I got each of my girls a arch and they put it on their backpacks, like keychains. Oh, that's so like, cool. this is where our sister's doctor is, even though they never went to St. Louis, you know, but for them, it was like a connection piece too. So I see what you're saying, but 
Yeah. I definitely think there's a bonding. There's just a different level of bonding when you're traveling solo with just your little one, right? Mm -hmm. And you're dealing with all the things that come with that. What mm -hmm. may be, right? <laughs> the constant. Um, well, I just want to thank you both so much for like taking the time and willingness to share your stories with everybody and kind of put yourself out there. Um, and just honestly, just for like being my friends, like, I don't know what I would, I know, like, I feel like I just like a broken record. Like I say that all the time, but that's really just the truth. Like if I didn't find you and I think that's why I'm really passionate about like trying to help other parents and just get that word out. Like the parent experience is really important. Like Clubfoot is really parent driven. Yes. The doctors and the casting are really, they're really important and they're vital for the treatment. But most of the time it's parents, no pun intended, boots on ground, right? Like we're the ones doing it. And to be able to find other parents, whether they're right in the same sort of journey, like we are kind of like in similar experiences, or you have someone who's a little bit further ahead of you or whatever that is, if you can find somebody that you trust with and connect, like what Gina was saying, like that advice. And I think if you can impart that to people and it's a real connection, not just not saying that Facebook isn't real connection, but it's not like a one-off comment. It's someone you trust who's going to be honest with you and tell you whether they think something's up or whether they're like, no, you just need to chill a little bit, you know, like, so I think that that's really important. And that's what you guys have given to me. And I just don't know what I would do without you guys. So thanks so much. Oh, well, same here. I don't know what I would have done without the two of you. And you know, sometimes we go months without talking and we're like, oh, everything's fine. And then we have a flood of texts and messages like this is going on. How's this going for you? And it's, we pick right up where we left off. And yeah, I couldn't have survived these past three years without you both. So I'm very grateful to you guys. Could not agree more. And I think that is probably the best piece of advice is find your parent community because you need it. Like it's, it is a tough job as a parent to be, I mean, you are your child's advocate. They are babies. They can't advocate for themselves. That pressure is all on our shoulders and it's not the easiest job all the time. So having a support system is essential. And you two are that for me, there is no question. So thank you for being there. A hundred percent. And I'm talk about a special bond like the three of us have a special bond we do just forget about our kids no <laughs> <with> us. <laughs> so it's that special connection that you make with other parents who are on similar journeys even if it's not the exact same journey right um but just can relate in a different way than other people right even family members right mm -hmm. so well, as always, thanks everybody for listening. And if you liked this episode, please like, follow, subscribe, or sh please share with your friends. And if you want to contact me directly, you can visit my website at marinehoff.com or my Instagram account at Clubfoot Chronicles Mom. All right. Until next time, guys.